So Money episode 1100, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. Episode 1100. Here we are, September 25th, 2020. I'm your host, Farnoosh Chirabi. Thank you for joining us here. It was an epic week for the So Money podcast. On Monday, we welcomed Suzanne Summers to the show, former star of Three's Company Dishes on all the reasons that she left the show in the, I guess it was early 80s after season three, negotiating her contract and it went pretty south. But she obviously Recovered. She's the queen of reinvention from the Thighmaster to her Vegas show to her best selling books. She's written over 30 books. It was such a treat to connect with her. I grew up watching Three's Company with my mom. It was super surreal. And then on Wednesday, we had Sophia Amoruso, who is the founder of Girl Boss. First the book, then it was the TV series on Netflix, then it was the company. She's since left Girl Boss Media, the company that she founded. And right now there is some criticism circling the whole Girl Boss movement for not being inclusive, intersectional, diverse. Sophia is an open book on this podcast, and I really appreciate how she did go there with me and addressed some of this drama. And I have to share something that I put in my newsletter this week, how I'm saving money at the grocery store, which I know is not very on brand with so money. We don't talk about clipping coupons and saving money on gas, but food is a huge category of spending right now. More than ever, Americans, of course, and I'm one of them, uh, spending a lot of time in the kitchen. And as a result, spending a lot more time at the grocery store and food is becoming a bigger part of our monthly expenses, our monthly budget. And I have managed to learn a few things over the last eight, nine months, how to spend efficiently. You know, we're, we are a family of four. We are a, a growing family, two young kids who eat a lot of the same foods every week, a lot of milk, a lot of eggs, a lot of yogurt, a lot of chicken, a lot of berries, strawberries. My kids are huge fruit fans, bananas. Oh my gosh. And we like to keep it healthy and organic. And so yes, I shop at Whole Foods a lot of the time. And yes, I have managed to find out how to save a significant amount of money for us at the grocery store. And yet our bill is still around $250 to $300 a week. And I had at least one person write to me and say that I was crazy for spending that much money on food every week. And I kind of like had to check myself. I'm like, is this, is this, not like everybody else. The average family right now spends anywhere from, according to the USDA, this is in August, if you are a family of four with children ages two to three and four to five, you're spending anywhere from $753 a month on the low end to closer to $1,200 a month on the higher end. Now, I know there are some extreme couponers out there. There are some extreme budgeters out there, people who don't care about organic, people who don't eat meat. And I can see where they're spending significantly less than us. But I'm pretty proud of my food bill. We live in New Jersey. Costs are higher here. So I'm feeling good about our organic eating coming to about $1,200 a month. And anyway, it was all in the newsletter. My 
tips for how to save at the grocery store, real things that we're doing from shopping generic labels and buying frozen. If you're not subscribed to the newsletter, I would love for you to join that email community. Just go to somoneypodcast.com and drop your email on the homepage and uh, we'll get you hooked up. I promise I don't send too many emails, just one or two a month. So pertinent is this issue of how to save at the grocery store that I was invited to share my advice on Live with Kelly and Ryan this week. That was actually an in-studio appearance, my first in-studio appearance since, gosh, maybe, I don't know, like maybe all of 2020. Thank you to everybody who watched, who texted, who DM'd me. Uh, that video is available on the Live with Kelly and Ryan Instagram. We have a special co-host today, a recurring guest, Chelsea Silvera Burgos, who is a listener of the So Money podcast. She's in the community and she reached out after being on the show this time last year. She reached out again to nominate herself to be a co-host. And you know, I love this. So so if you'd like to co-host with me because you're a fan of the show, you've listened to the show, please do email me farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com or direct message me on Instagram and let me know that you'd like to co-host. Chelsea is a lifelong learner. She just achieved another degree. She's a mother. She's super so money. She's a listener in this community and she'll be on in just a moment. Before we bring her on stage, let's go to the iTunes section to pick a reviewer of the week. This person will receive a free 15-minute money session with moi. And this week, we're going to say thank you so much to Mike Minded, who left a review just this week on Tuesday, leaving five stars and saying, this podcast has become a vital part of my week for at least the last year. Farnoosh and the amazing guests that she has on share such impactful, life-changing insight on everything from managing personal finance to real estate, the stock market, workplace bias, so much more. I was made aware of her from the investing app Acorns, where she did Bunked common investing myths. And ever since then, I've been a fan. Thoroughly enjoyed the Black Wealth Matters series. Love what you do, how you do it, and want to continue to hear your voice. Keep going and keep growing. Wow, thank you so much. I would love to connect with you one-on-one -on -one to hear how I might be of service and help you out uh, with any money issues on your plate. Email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com or send me a DM, direct message on Instagram and let me know you left this review and I will send you a booking link to pick a time for us to chat. And by the way, the Black Wealth Matters series is its own album now. So if you go to Spotify, iTunes, most podcast players and type in Black Wealth Matters, you will be guided to its own dedicated album where I have put all of those episodes from the month of June on there for your convenience, for accessibility, to share it and enjoy for, you know, forever and ever. <laughs> so excited. Joining me again as co-host, it's been a year and quite the year, Chelsea Silvera Burgos, an avid listener of So Money and a financial expert in her own right, coming on the stage to join me again. Chelsea, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. So much has happened in a year. Your daughter's a little bit older. Oh, yeah. We yeah. have a pandemic going on. <laughs> and you live in California, which has a lot of interesting things uh, happening to it at the moment. Uh, you just had an yes. earthquake. The fires. Uh, the fires. Uh, mm -hmm. High infection rates still. How's it do How are you guys doing with COVID? <laughs> 
My county, I think, um, well, hair salons just opened with all the restrictions. So I kind of am judging it by like what ser- like what services are available mm-hmm. again. Um, but we're not out of the woods. There's still pretty high infection rates. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's good to hear your voice and catch me up a little bit. How has your life changed? Uh, let's start with the financial stuff professionally. So the month after I was on last time, I passed my BCBA exam. So I'm a board certified behavior analyst. So that came with a raise and more responsibilities. I also started teaching at Arizona State University. I'm a co-instructor in their ABA online master's program. And that brings me so much joy. So those are, that's two jobs. And then I have, I tutor a lady who we came across each other on Instagram, which is so funny because you have a huge Instagram following. And I posted something that got reposted by an ABA account, Applied Behavior Analysis account. And she found me and she said, do you tutor in ABA uh, subject matters? Because she's going to school in Australia for her master's. And I was like, sure. (laughs) And we've become such fast friends. So Instagram is such a great place to connect with people. I hadn't experienced it yet, but you talk about it on your podcast all the time. Your community it's been on great. Instagram. I love yeah. it. I, I don't love Facebook in general. Uh, no. It's been helpful to me in the most recent months, just with all the school information and connecting with parents, moving to a new town. Mm-hmm. That's helpful, connecting with people and for those reasons. But there's just a lot. It's like so, so noisy. But it's Instagram... So I find that Instagram still, it hasn't lost its sort of uh, charm, if you, if I may. Like it's still, it feels community focused and everyone who's there is pretty, there's not a lot of politics, you know, like I, 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 it's a less stressful place to hang out these days. Mm-hmm. You can so, focus your feed a little bit better, in my opinion. What's <laughs> I can, like I can focus my Instagram feed yeah. much better. Facebook, like, pops things in that I have no interest yes. in or stressful stuff. Yeah. And I don't really like the user experience on Facebook. I think it's just not a good UX design. Personally, mm-hmm. I don't really, I don't, for me, it's not like intuitive, but like, let's go back to this, this certification behavior mm-hmm. analyst. What does that mean? Behavior analysis is essentially the science of consequences. If we want to find something we want to increase, we find the consequence that is correlated with that response. And then we just, we change the environment essentially to um, promote the response that we want. And it's applicable across life because behavior is everywhere. But I work with kids with autism. That's where my passion lies. So I apply it to teach social skills and language skills and self-help to little, little ones. So I've been working with the zero to three population for a few years and I'll be transitioning into uh, probably zero to eight at my new job. I'm going to start a new, a new position in a few weeks. A new job in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. I love it. like to hear this news. It's going to be challenging, but I'm excited. Yes. (laughs) You wrote to me and you said that you've found ways to keep you and your family centered in this uh, quote unquote chaotic dumpster fire that is 2020. (laughs) What, what are some of the, the things that you're doing that's been helpful? We have a little bubble. We, um, my sister-in-law just delivered my nephew this morning. So we've had a high risk person. It's so exciting. And yeah, but we had to really pare down the bubble. So we've been doing like little, that's what we've been calling it, but little 
gatherings. We'll hang out. We've been doing um, lots more FaceTime. My daughter's sick of FaceTime, but I like it because <laughs> you get to see people. Mm-hmm. And um, we were doing outside stuff, but the smoke just let up this week. It's been about three or four weeks of very, very bad air quality. So playing outside wasn't an option. So we would just we did a lot of uh, TV Disney plus watching in the last few weeks. So the centered part kind of drifted away with the wildfires because mm. we couldn't go outside, but we're getting, getting there back to it. Well, I mean, it sounds like you're just, uh, you're taking the good with the bad and more good than bad, it seems in your household. Yes. And I'm so happy to have you back. It's nice to reconnect with a familiar person and a voice on, on this show. And you, you are so money. Tell me a little bit to catch us up a little bit on your financials personally. Like what are, have you achieved any goals in the past year? Uh, yes, we finishing school was a huge help because I didn't have anything to fund at that time. I, you know, had a lot of student loans, but been able to pay those down a little bit. But then during the, once the economy started shutting down in March and April, we've boosted our rainy day account by several thousand of dollars. So we've got about a three month cushion now, which is great. That's exciting. But we refied the house to a lower rate and now we're saving for some property. We'd like to buy some property in Nevada. My husband wants to move there eventually. And right now we're saving for the down payment. So we're a third of the way there. Just boosting the retirement savings and the college fund once schools stopped and I passed my exam was, that's a huge accomplishment to us. We're doing about 10% into retirement right now with the goal of hopefully by the end of the year being about 12 to 15%. We're trying to increase it every quarter. Cash is king right now. So we're we're really saving a lot mm-hmm. of cash, trying to stay more liquid. You're speaking my language. <laughs> Although I would say cash is queen. Oh, that's true. Cash is queen. Yes, my bad. <laughs> yes. Let's help out some listeners. I think you'll ha- have a lot of advice for them. I think uh, some of the these questions um, overlap, things, experiences that we've had. So our first question is from an anonymous listener. She would like to stay anonymous. No problem. She says, hey, Farnoosh, I love your podcast. Get this. I have 10 nieces and nephews that I recently started saving for. They range in age from three to 21. Only two of them are over the age of 18. Every month, they put $100 into a high-yield savings account for them. I have buckets with all their names, and the money gets distributed evenly so that at the end of the year, I have $120 to put towards their birthday and Christmas gifts. However, I won't always use all of it, and I was wondering if you had any advice on saving for younger ones when you're not the legal guardian. I'd love to be able to save for their graduation or when they need a down payment for their car or just something to help them out as they get older. I know it's not a ton of money, but any suggestions, advice you have on where to keep this money would be greatly appreciated. She's like that rich aunt that, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if I didn't become a mom, I would have loved to have been a rich aunt, like the aunt she that is. slips you a 20 at Thanksgiving and says, don't tell your mom. <laughs> yes. I think she that's is. cool. She's a cool aunt. So I, look, I, I think it's so cool that she's doing this. I, We'll have a couple of ideas for her. But first, I wanted to hear from you, Chelsea, as a newly minted aunt 
uh, yourself, right? Yes. Uh, I have a niece, but this is my second. This is a nephew now. Okay. So So now you have two. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you relate to this? Do you have advice for her? I do relate to it. And I noticed that the specific examples she gave were um, just helping out like a graduation gift or a down payment for a car. And if it's not college, then, you know, maybe, I mean, the CD and the high yield savings are not, not a huge interest rate right now. Um, But she did say something to help them out as they get older. And you don't have to have you don't have to be the legal guardian to do a 529 plan. So if she wants to save for their college, that would mm-hmm. be something to help them out. And she could just start it in their name. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that was my idea. That's a great idea. So if they do have college in their future, and this would be, I would say, first things first, have a conversation with your siblings, their parents to find out where maybe you can help them help their kids. So if their parents have already set up a 529 college savings account for their children and they can let you know about that, it's some it's very simple in some cases. They can even send you the link. You can contribute directly to those, to those funds or you can just send them the money and then trust that they'll put it in those funds. And that's a way of more indirectly helping your nieces and nephews, but still um, helping them achieve their goals that the family has established for them. Then I would also look at opening up a custodial IRA, which is um, in the same fashion as you can open up a 529 for somebody else, you know, have the beneficiary be a niece or a nephew. You can have the custodial IRA, which functions like an IRA, have the beneficiary be a sibling, a relative. And once they become of age, I believe it's 18, they take over the ownership. They can transfer the funds to their existing IRA or what have you. Um, In the meantime, you're managing it. So for longer term savings, I'm going to actually write a piece about this, Chelsea, is my next article for Bloomberg is Mm -hmm. about what where to save for these midterm goals. So obviously, rainy day, emergency account, that's just going into a whatever bucket. Don't worry about the interest rate as long as it's liquid, FDIC insured, accessible. Those are the most important attributes. Then, of course, there's retirement. So you can be aggressive there, investing in index funds and a diverse allocation of investments intended for you know the next 30 years, what have you. So then what do you do if you want to buy a car in 10 years for your nephew? In that case, I think even investing in an index fund anonymous is not too risky if you know that you're not going to need this money for at least another 10 years, I would say opening up a brokerage account, putting your money in an index fund and letting it ride, checking in a few years before you want to start withdrawing just to be sure that if the market has been on this steady climb, that maybe you do want to cash out at that point or transferred over to something a little bit more risk averse. So it's not following the stock market or whatever index you've pegged it to. So it does require a little bit of maintenance in that case and just making sure you're not overexposed to the market in the final month that you want to withdraw the money in case the market tanks and you've you know set yourself back a few years. The, the rule of thumb is if you don't need to use money savings for the next minimum seven to 10 years, you can put that in the quote unquote stock market with the assurance that 
um, if it if the market does tumble in the next couple of years, you have time to make up make that up, and you will earn more over time than just putting it in a plain vanilla savings account. Just to recap the options here, five twenty nine. If you want to save for their college, and this I would ask their parents if they already established one to contribute to that, a custodial IRA, it becomes their Roth IRA and uh, just opening up a brokerage account and throwing the money into an index fund with the understanding that you wouldn't need this money for at least another seven to 10 years. Is that everything? Yeah, I think that's everything. All right. Casey says, my husband and I live in Hoboken, New Jersey, which if you're not from around here, Hoboken, New Jersey is about, I don't know, 10, 15 minute train ride to Manhattan. It's a huge commuter city it's one of the first cities uh, that you reach in New Jersey. Uh, it's right over the river. So it's a very popular uh, area for people who want to kind of get out of the city, pay pay a little bit less for rent, but still be close to the city. And they, by the way, they have some great restaurants in Hoboken. So <laughs> she says, we chose a cash out refi option back in May. And now we have $200,000 in a high yield savings account for our future house. We were deep into house hunting when the pandemic hit. And now we're like, shoot. She used a different word, a different four-letter word, uh, but I will, uh, <laughs> I'll keep this one clean. They have a one-year-old child and she's hoping to get pregnant again soon. And the goal is to keep this condo in Hoboken, which is why they did the cash out refi. And she says, is it okay to do this? Is, am I crazy? And, um, you know, she, I, I guess, has been following the podcast and my work for a while and, you uh, you know, is feels like maybe I might have some advice for her because actually I went on Instagram the other day. I don't know if you follow me on uh, saw this on Instagram, Chelsea, but I was talking about um, activating your equity in your home, mm-hmm. which is something that we did in so much that we moved, we sold, mm-hmm. cashed out the equity, used it to buy another house, and actually used we had enough equity where we could buy another house and park a lot of that cash in savings. And so for us, that just felt uh, at the time in our life. It just felt like the right move. So let me just talk about cash out refis for a second, just in case anyone's not sure what they are. We've talked about this in recent weeks on the show, but just to recap, a cash out refinance is like a is like any other refi, except that it replaces your existing mortgage with a new home loan that's more than what you currently own on the house. So what it does is it, assuming your home has appreciated in value since you last bought it, the new mortgage is basically going to take that into account. It's going to take into your new home appreciated value and give you a mortgage pegged to that. The difference, whatever that is, between the new mortgage and your old mortgage is that cash out for you. It's cashing out some of that equity. A lot of people like to do this uh, as a way to you know, bank on obviously lower interest rates, you might have a bigger monthly payment because the mortgage is going to be technically bigger, but a smaller interest rate these days, it may not be as devastating. People like to use that cash for security reasons, home improvements, debt consolidation. Right now, people just like having cash in the bank, uh, but you got to have equity in your home and typically cash out refinances. They limit the cash out amounts to 80 to 90% of your home's equity. So you're still going to retain equity in your home, which is important. 
One caveat to all of this, some big banks are getting out of this business right now. They don't want to be in this cash out refi game. I guess the margins aren't that great for the banks. And also it's a weird time, right? In the world and the economy and banks aren't doing HELOCs. A lot of them have gone out of that business, home equity lines of credit and cash out refi. So if you can do this right now, it's kind of a a good opportunity, I guess, um, if you need to activate some of that equity and put it in a position where it's actually supporting you, where in this case, she's taking out this equity to buy another house. There is risk, obviously, if your condo in Jersey, Hoboken, um, falls in value, and then you've got this big mortgage, you may arrive at a situation where you're underwater, as they say. But that's not a huge, I don't think that's a huge risk for them. Her question is, you know, should we keep the house in Hoboken and use this money to buy our forever home? If the condo is making, if you can rent it out, right? I wouldn't mm-hmm. just keep it on the books, but if you can rent it out and be cash flow positive every month, I think that's a that's one way to be financially on top of things. What do you think? I exactly what you said. I think that they can obviously, well maybe it's not obvious, but it's kind of implied that they can afford the new mortgage payment. She didn't mention anything about being strapped for cash and wanting to you know, put it back into the mortgage of their condo. I I think that it's a fine, fine option. And I, like you said, I don't see a problem with keeping the Hoboken condo as long as they're cash flow positive. I think it sets them up for a long-term like rental option. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and as long as you don't foresee the home values in Hoboken dropping, right. dropping too much. And I, I think, in some ways, areas in New Jersey are better positioned from a real estate standpoint than, say, Manhattan mm-hmm. uh, and Brooklyn. We're already we're already seeing price depression and um, not depression. I, I it, it, price softening in uh, places like Manhattan and Brooklyn. But on the flip side, we're seeing a lot of activity in the Jersey areas. So uh, here's what I would do: two hundred thousand in cash out refi, don't use all of it for the down payment on the next home. Park about 25% of that in cash at minimum. Um, So like what we did, we took out the equity from our Brooklyn sale, but we didn't put it all into the next home. We wanted, we didn't, we don't want to go from um, apples to apples. We wanted to go from apples to watermelon. Like we wanted to take the money (laughs) and do multiple things with it as opposed to just back to where we were, which was sitting on this theoretical pile of cash, which was in the house and not liquid. So we took about half of what we yanked out of that Brooklyn sale and put it in as a um, down payment plus closing costs for the next home and use the rest to save and invest. So I think if you can come up with that kind of a, 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 a plan, a design for what, how to really leverage this 200K, I think that would best suit you. All right, moving on to Amanda. She says, I remember you saying on a previous podcast that your net worth actually increased after you had kids. <laughs> My husband and I are expecting our first baby early next year. We're feeling a little overwhelmed by the expenses. How will this impact our monthly income and net worth? Could you expand more on how you increased your net worth after a family? Happy to Amanda. But first, Chelsea, how was your experience becoming a mom? I feel like your life also became more 
full and abundant and busy after yes. in a good way after your daughter was born. Yes. And I was thinking, um, as I was reading this, I think it initially spiked, the price initially spiked when it was in the newborn stage and there was just diapers and all the new stuff. But I think our lives in general became a little less spontaneous in a good way. You know, routine is healthy for us. It just kind of normally happened. Like we settled into a routine and we didn't have quite as much travel that, you know, was we traveled a lot with her, but it just seemed like everything made a little more sense. We weren't as impulsive with stuff. So I don't know if ours was directly like a conscious choice, but our net worth definitely increased after her. Maybe we were also more conscious about saving because we mm -hmm. had one more person to account for. And you had and, your daughter in your 30s? Um, I was 27, I think. Okay. I think I was 27. Yeah. So, but yeah, we were, we've always been a little bit older mentally, <laughs> a little more conservative in general. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Well, I only bring up the age because for women, our peak earning years are in our mid to late thirties. Mm -hmm. And then it plateaus or drops off. For yeah. me, I can only speak for myself, but I do think there are things I can extrapolate and, you know, take it for what it's worth. But I, I had my first child at 33 or 34, my second at 37. After my son was born, who's my eldest, you know, I, I worked for myself. So I didn't have this set amount of time, like eight weeks or six weeks, and then I have to be back at work, which I almost felt I wish I had had that because then I think I would have been able to be more, you know, I would have been, I would have known exactly what to do every day and every week because I only had so much time. But I, for myself, I did try to create my own version of a maternity leave. And I created this date, this random date. So he was born June 21st. And I said, okay, by September 15th or September 21st, I'm going to be like, you know, back at it. And I booked a conference in New Orleans. It was the FinCon conference. I went there and it was my coming out. It was going to be like my back to work, first day back at work sort of thing. You know, listen, I had just published a book. I was, I felt like I was on the upward momentum. And then my son was born. I was on this upward momentum with my career where the book came out in May. He was born in June. And then I kind of just like slowed down and just did the mothering stuff for two, three months. And like anyone, whether you work for a company or you work for yourself, when you're out of work, quote unquote, not working for a, a consistent period of time, you start to wonder like, am I losing my luster? Am I going to be relevant when I go back to work? And those were the voices in my head as I was you know, nursing my son. And I was being really realistic about my new world as a mother, as a professional, as a breadwinner, insofar as I knew that I still wanted to keep working. I knew that I still wanted to continue making an impact. I still wanted to have great experiences, but I had to be realistic about the how of that. I couldn't continue working the hours that I used to, all hours of the day. I couldn't just hop on a plane anytime I wanted to and be somewhere. I wouldn't just say yes to something, even if the money was okay, now I had different standards. I think this is important for every parent who becomes a parent for the first time and wants to keep their job and not just keep the job, but really grow into their career and elevate their professional life is you have to create your own new framework. 
I, you know, again, the age thing had a little bit of it helped a little bit because I think in my lit, mid to late thirties, I was more confident. I was, I experienced a lot. I knew what was going to be a big deal versus a little deal. I wasn't shy about saying no to opportunities that I may have would have said yes to five years prior, but now didn't really make sense for me because they, maybe it wasn't the right rate. It wasn't a convenient thing. Um, or I just didn't feel like it was worth my time, frankly. I was very clear about what would be quote unquote worth it for me going forward. And I'll tell you what, this podcast was born out of that thought process of what can I do that I can be in control of? So no one's like, you know, calling me every five minutes. No one's on my tail. I can be, you know, running the ship, still making an impact doing it on my own time and eventually, you know, monetize it. And it was this podcast and that thinking I think is what attributed to, I wrote an article later for Money Magazine about how becoming a mom made me richer. It really did because I think saying no opens up more doors for yeses, having a clear framework for the conditions in which you will work. I've heard from employers that moms and dads, but mostly moms are some of the most valued employees because they get SHIT done. Mm-hmm. They know that they got to be done by five or six and they're not going to have any more time. And frankly, I, I, I used to joke and say, oh, when Evan goes to bed, I'll get back at work. No, I'm so tired by 930. <laughs> you know, all I want to, I can't even watch TV. I just want to sleep. So I think that it's about being truly honest and convicted about what you need and what you want out of your professional life. Connecting with other moms is also critical, other parents and working for an employer that really empathizes with your with your big life. Um, ideally, you have a boss who also is in the boat of working and parenting and can understand when you need to leave work early or you just can't work the strict hours or you just find an employer that gets it, that that, that the world is not just full of people that have 24 hours a day to themselves. Definitely. <sighs> I, I think that you nailed it. Um, hit the nail on the head with your priorities become clearer. Mm-hmm. And so you can put your energy into the things that either are going to be the big payout or be the big joy payout. Hopefully it's both, but um, definitely focusing your energy is going to increase your net worth in general because you're going to, you know, spend time on the projects that mean something. Yeah. yeah. And, it, you know, what call it becoming a mom or just aging. I think that <laughs> like to what I said earlier about the point at which I had children was also not inconsequential. I think I had worked for over 15 years at that point. So with that comes yeah. experience, knowledge. I felt like I'd also, I was at a place where I could command more, more money for my time and for my work. And, um, but I will say that when you become a mother, you get very good at sort of getting to the bottom line quickly, a lot quicker. Okay. You know, you realize how valuable your time is. You don't dance around topics. If you want to make more, you ask for it. If you want to learn more about this, I wrote a piece, like I said, for Money Magazine back in 2018. So a couple of years ago, but it's still relevant. I think I still stand by every word. It's called Being a Mom Has Made Me Rich. There's a video. So you get to see like my behind the scenes of my day to day. It's back when we were living in Brooklyn. But, you know, this was an interesting statistic that I came upon during this article, which is that over 50% of working mothers still believe that having children makes it harder to advance at work. That's according to Pew Research. Only 16% of dads believed that to be the case for them. 
incidentally, I don't think we're wrong to think this way because we still live in a patriarchy. We still work in a world, in a country where most companies are run by men and some Mm -hmm. of them aren't dads. And so they don't have, again, that understanding of family life is a non-negotiable, you know, and and it doesn't mean that we are less than at work. We have so many attributes. There's so many skill sets, so much personality and drive that comes from being a parent that is so invaluable at work. You know, that transference of wealth that you're bringing to your job is invaluable. And I think more and more employers are realizing this, but it's also why I think women are leading the path in entrepreneurship because they're not getting that acceptance on the job job. So they're starting their own careers and their own, they're becoming their own bosses. I have to say that I think that's probably what's partially leading it. Yeah, very true. Definitely. Flexibility is like a general term that we all use, but I think it means so much more than that, like being your own boss's flexibility, but really it's being your own boss's the control, not the flexibility mm-hmm. to prioritize what you have decided matters to you. And maybe you're not able to find somewhere else, you know, depending on where you live or what your, what your field is. Yeah. Control is everything. Amanda, some homework for you and your husband before your baby is here next year And I think this, you know, the fact that you're asking this question now, you're so ahead of it. Planning goes a very long way. Understanding what you, what what kind of a structure you want as a family in terms of taking care of your baby. Talk to your employer about what 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 is the you know time off allowance? Is it paid? How about your husband? You know, my husband, we thought we just assumed he wasn't going to get any paid leave because he worked for a startup and they barely had a 401k. We're like, well, there's there's not going to be any sort of family leave. And he was shocked to discover only after talking to HR that he had four weeks of paid leave as a dad, which was so great to find out. We wouldn't we would have just assumed. So don't assume, you know, ask the questions and work, have that all that work to your advantage. Okay, last but not least, uh, this question comes also from Instagram. Uh, The handle is pretty long, but I'll say it out loud so she recognizes herself. P.S. Midwest Wellness Journey. (laughs) (laughs) And her question, I love this question. It's about this trend of people leaving New York City for the suburbs. What's going to happen in a year or two? I don't know. I I, I would like to think that New York is going to get its groove back. I think in a year or two, mm, a lot of it is going to depend on the job market, right? And also New York needs to get real. If New York, if the landlords really, because here's what's happening. Landlords are only now starting to reconcile with the world in terms of giving their current renters even a break. And I don't know what world they're living in, but I guess they're not watching New York One. Like they don't know that there's a massive unemployment rate and people are leaving and there's a lot of inventory. And I have friends who just could not win the negotiations with their landlord to say, hey, cut us a break. And now they're realizing it's much harder to find a new tenant than to keep the current one you have happy. Definitely. So if if the in, you know 80% or whatever it is, majority of New Yorkers rent. So I think the only reason they could get away with that high rent was because whoever was living there was also working in New York, hopefully making an, 
an affordable salary that could afford that rent. If that's not the case, or if that person doesn't have to live in New York because that job is now remote, I just don't see a world where New York can continue to keep prices where it is for housing. It has to come down. Once it comes down, people will move there, maybe not only for the job, but for the fact that it's New York City and it's a one-of-a-kind place on earth. There's going to have to be be a bit of a paradigm shift in New York and the landlords need to wake up to the fact that the economics of the city are just not what they used to be. And they need to meet people where they are. And then I think people will come back, but it's, they're going to have, the the city itself is going to also have to provide tax breaks to builders and business owners and um, property owners, everybody, so that we feel incentivized to go back. And I don't know if that's going to happen in a year, but I think it needs to happen eventually. Um, so save your money. <laughs> yeah. I live on the West Coast. I'm on the opposite coast in the Bay Area. I have friends who live in the Bay Area who are moving back to the county that we're in that we grew, all grew up in because it's not worth the Bay Area prices, which is not as much as New York. But if you can't go out to eat at the awesome restaurants and you can't, you know, everything's closed. So I, I think in a few years, they will definitely move back. They love the Bay. But I think you're right. In a year or two, I don't really know <laughs> if it's going to happen. Yeah, there's a lot of dis- there's a lot of discourse right now. Just like some people think New York is dead. There was that famous op-ed in the New York Times. Jerry Seinfeld wrote it about New York's not dead. It's easy to say when you're a billionaire that you're going to come back to New York and make it work for yourself. But when you are a young professional, you know, coming to New York is a big decision and you have to sort of struggle for a while and hope that, you know, you're going to ultimately make more money and someday not have to just be living paycheck to paycheck in this city that is so expensive, but you make it work because you're not living in your apartment all day. And well, now we are, um, you can go to the restaurants, you can go to the museums, you can do all these social activities. Well, now you really can't. And so all of that needs to come back in order to bring back this cohort of people who come to New York for the first time and settle down. And initially, it's a bit of a struggle, but they believe in the investment of being there. And if that payoff isn't there because the jobs aren't as bountiful, because there's nowhere to go or hang out and experience the richness that was once New York, that is still New York, but you know, it's changed a little bit. I think it's going to be a harder sell. New York was already experiencing a net exodus. Like there were more people leaving than coming into the city. I think that's also true in the Bay Area and probably Mm -hmm. Los Angeles, maybe Los Angeles. I don't know. Um, Right now, yes, for sure. I don't know about pre-COVID, but in the Bay, yes, it's it just got so expensive that Too expensive. people could move a little bit further away they were, even if they had to commute. Because then you have, you know, money to actually do things if you're not paying it all in rent. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wish you uh, a great rest of the year. And I know this is not a topic that will go away. I'm super invested in this, the future of New York. I was just in New York this week, New York City for one night. And I think it depends on where you are in the city, but some cities, some parts of the of the island are hurting more than others. Some are more abandoned feeling than others. But I look, New York, look at how far we've come already in terms of bringing down the infection rate. It's a smart city. It's a caring city. It's committed. We've been through a lot. I'm hopeful. I, I think we have it in us to 
recover and bounce back, but it's going to be a process. It's not going to be in that, you know, in a year. We won't even have a vaccine in, you know, six months. Like it's going to take a lot to get all the cities back on their feet. Definitely. Yeah. Chelsea, what do you have planned for the rest? Of, are you going to trick or treat this year with your little one? I don't know. And I just hope Montclair um, keeps, uh, keeps trick or treating on the calendar. I think we are going to um, do maybe like themes in different rooms of a, one of the grandparents' houses because I just don't think we're going to be able to clean that much candy. I just, I look at the, <laughs> the risks and I'm like, I, maybe we'll just do themes so with different houses and different rooms and she can trick or treat between all the different yeah. family members in the rooms. Is it true but, that California canceled it though? I, I read something. I don't know. I have been so overwhelmed with all of the news. I'm not sure about the trick or treating, but I don't think we'll be doing it. I, I feel like there's always something that's getting canceled due to COVID. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, well, I'll have to, I'll have to look it up when it gets closer, but yeah, you've got a lot going on. Me, yeah. meanwhile, I keep refreshing the Montclair uh, calendar page. Oh yeah. <laughs> I got two little ones that keep asking. I already bought yes. all the candy. So if we don't have Halloween, I'm in a lot of trouble. Oh, you maybe you'll just have a a couple months of my sugar levels are going to be really high. Exactly, you'll have a a lot of months of dessert. (laughs) Chelsea, thank you so much. Thank you for being a friend of the show and listening. And we we'll have you back again and soon, maybe with some updates. Cool. Thank you so much. It's always I love I love when your podcast drops. I'm very excited to be back. 